This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Maureen Falvey, and we're going to talk about how she helps professional development through Mark Strong Coaching. Before we begin, I remind you, this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you are ready to discover, embrace, and share your voice while creating tactical content that delivers, head over to nightly.productions to find out how we can help you do exactly that through podcasting. Again, that's nightly.productions. Maureen, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Zach. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, I'm excited to have you on. I think this is going to be a great conversation because I think we have a lot of similarities and very different perspectives on things. Maybe not very different. We might have some similarities attached to it, but I'm really excited to kind of chop this up and, and understand more about what Mark Strong Coaching is all about. And to just give the audience a little bit of a background on you, you're the lead coach and trainer for that organization as a whole. Overall, your journey has taken you through 25 plus years in the advertising world. You're now on a mission to help leaders unleash their potential, become the best version of themselves. And obviously that's that professional development piece with Mark Strong Coaching in that realm. And I can't wait to kind of understand more about how you've now taken your experience into this leadership development. But before we dive into that aspect of things, what's a fun fact that we just might not know about you? Oh, (laughs) zeroing in on one is interesting. I have a fear of heights. And so I went skydiving to try to overcome that fear and my shoot malfunctioned. (laughs) So obviously I'm sitting here, I figured it out. And then it ended up being my first leadership lesson that everything Hmm. is figure outable. I got myself out of that pickle and I'm here. And uh, yeah, so I'm still afraid of heights though. (laughs) That's funny. That is, I have two fears in the world, heights and spiders. And I'm always the type I love facing fears and I've always wanted to go base jumping, but I've never wanted to go skydiving. Why there's a difference, but like, why would you jump out a perfectly good plane? How's that? <laughs> and this is an army guy saying that I like, the land, awesome. you know? but it's really not the fear of heights. It's the problem. It's the fear of the inevitable splat, right? Right. Yeah. And that parachute malfunction, I guess, wasn't too fun of an idea. Yeah. I figured it out though. That's awesome. That's awesome. So let's dive into this piece of your journey. I know you're in the advertising world. You have great experience there. Let's go all the way back to that first position that you were really in. Can you kind of give us an idea of how you got into the advertising world, how you got into just your your professional journey at the very beginning? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it's all steeped in in curiosity. I just felt it was almost cruel in college to choose a major because everything seems so interesting. So I changed mine eight times, twice in one day at one point. And then I found this thing called advertising. I'm like, oh my God, this is like eight majors in one day. It's psychology and it's marketing and it's human relations. And it's so creative making these mini films every day. And it was diverse, like every day, dynamic, right? A new challenge, a new situation. And so I I just thought that was incredible. So I started in that industry and went full in. I'm from Toledo, Ohio, and was brave enough to fly to San Francisco without a job. And I got my first job in advertising. And the guy said, why? In the interview, he said, why should I hire you? You're from Toledo, Ohio. Now I get it, right? And I said, it's because I'm from Toledo, Ohio, that you should hire me. 
that I have enough courage to get on a plane and come out here and believe that I can make a contribution to your ad agency is exactly why you should hire me. And it was a different time, Zach. It was women were, what were we doing? I guess trying to be like many men. I mean, my I had business suits that had big shoulder pads. Sometimes I even wore a tie. We were trained to lower our voice so we'd sound more like men. You know, people would say to us, listen, men men don't listen to you because your resonance is too high. And so they'll tap out. So you you have to make sure that you're, you sound, you look and sound like them for them to hear what it is you have to say. <laughs> different time. Yeah. And that's a crazy concept. And that's where I think our perspectives are a little bit different because in the military, I mean, male dominated and the police force, and that'd be my background, very male dominated, very the voice, I guess the inflections are a big piece of what we had to do, but as, as a male, that's not a consideration we necessarily take into account. And obviously whatever tip that was, but this leap of faith that you had worked really well for you where, I mean, you've worked on some monster accounts from, Mm -hmm. I mean, things like Burger King, Procter and Gamble, General Mills. I mean, you've worked with some massive clients in that space as a whole was that the key, lowering your voice and just steeping your head forward? Or was it that courage that really drove you forward into success in that world? What a great question. The parlor tricks, so to speak, were not the thing that ended up serving me in the end. It was belief in my ability to figure it out. It was showing up the person that I wanted them to see. And it was staying in the ring. I watched this chief creative officer. She was a female. And I mean to tell you, there were no C-suite people at the time. This was still the beginning. And she was a diminutive person as well. And so she spoke up in the meeting and all the men spoke over her. And then she spoke again and they spoke over her and she kept going and she kept going. And I remember at one point thinking, geez, just stop. Right. And she didn't. And I learned such a lesson at that time of just stay in the ring. Then I learned tips and tools along the way of how to get back in and how to stay you know, in command of a room, but don't give up. That's not an option. Right. Stay in the ring. And you said a a very interesting word that I think means a lot of things to different people Mm -hmm. use the word command. And it has so many different connotations attached to it as a police officer, command presence. You walk into a room and you have to essentially own the room. And that's a lot of what I've taken down to business ownership, dealing with a C-level executive or C-suite or a new client, a high-end client, the clients you worked with. You have to have a command presence attached to that room. It can't be arrogant. And a lot of women, female clients that I've worked with in the past, it's such a delicate balance that men don't have to consider of if you're too assertive, too aggressive, you get labeled, quote unquote, a bitch in the office. And that's something men, we don't understand that, right? We might be an asshole or an a-hole or a dick or something, but like that just is what it is. It's not a big deal for us. But as a female, that's a huge consideration that you have to balance that not to be labeled as just the angry lady in the corner, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so what we don't want is leaders, female leaders or anyone else spending most of their day feeling constrained. I want people to have the experience of being unleashed. So one of the things I I believe that we're not doing enough of at work is designing mini contracts. A fee, let's just take female leaders, right? To design that contract and say, here's how, here's who I am. Here's what I'm working on. A little bit of vulnerability also helps you command a room. Here's what you can count on me for. Can you raise your hand if I'm doing anything that's getting in the way of you being unleashed at work? But don't don't even leave any room for someone to misunderstand. I'm a strong person. We're going to make shit happen, right? We're going to make great decisions together. Let them know. So I think it's two things. Declare what your hope is for how you work together and then be brave and check in. Don't wonder what, you know, I have the COO that I'm working with now and she's fierce. 
And she noticed that she's in the sandbox all day long and no one's coming in to play with her. And she couldn't figure it out. She's like, geez, I love these people. I believe in them. They're smart. I keep asking for points of view and it's like crickets. So she did this really cool thing and she sent out a survey monkey to everyone on her team. And the last question was, share with me your experience of being on the other side of me. And every single person said, you're intimidating. So now she gets to go about the good work of making sure she's creating enough. She's not going to change who she is, but she'll create enough safety for people to come into the sandbox. She can ask the question, what is in the way more specifically? And she did that. And they all said, you seem like you're perfect. So she brought the whole agency together and she shared her story of how she is, who the hell she is. Didn't just happen. There wasn't some fairy dust. And they had tremendous respect for her. And now they're in a place where they're longing for her strength, but they're going to meet her where she's at and share with her their point of view in a way they've never done before because she was brave and she asked. She didn't change who she was. That's such a fascinating story. And I imagine and hope it, it is a resounding story for a lot of people listening, especially those female leaders, because it's funny as you're talking about it. I have a client that's a personal trainer. So she's a female. She was for a long time a, a bodybuilding competitor. So she's mm. very well built for a female, right? Bigger yeah. arms than I do. I'm jealous of her shoulders, to be <laughs> honest. But it, it's funny when I met her, she was actually a group fitness instructor. I was going to that gym and it was funny the air about her, like from, with me, I, I was impressed by her. Obviously, very interesting specimen in the CrossFit world, right? Very strong female. Yeah. I love seeing it, but other females were highly intimidated. The number one word I heard her described as, the number one adjective was like, she's intimidating. She scares me. She, I don't know how to approach her. That approachability while being quote unquote intimidating, she's honestly, she's like a, a little teddy bear, right? She's like, wouldn't hurt a fly type of chick, right? But that's, again, such a delicate balance. How do you open up the sandbox for people to come into it while maintaining that air of, it really is confidence. That's all it is. is she's just very confident female. How do you yeah. open that up and be more welcoming in that capacity? Yeah. I mean, first, I think we need to get that if someone is intimidated, if that's their experience, and to some degree, that's about them, right? So I don't know how much we need to own of that. But since we don't want, you know, as leaders, we don't want that to be the experience for people. We can, as I said before, share with them what we want it to be. I may show up this way. I've been given feedback that I can be intimidating. So I want to double down on something right now. I can't do my job without hearing your point of view. What needs to be true for you to feel comfortable sharing it with me, despite the fact that I have big shoulder muscles or whatever the thing is, or a loud voice or whatever. I don't want you to misunderstand. 93% of conflict and of conflict is due to misunderstanding and miscommunication, allowing someone to interpret something that wasn't our intention. So that's why I suggest the contract up front. Yeah. And there's a really, there's a formula for this that I just love. I want to share this with you, Zach, because I think this is so powerful and it's so simple. And it's from Francis Fry, but high standards, right? Which is sometimes intimidating. People seem to have high standards, but of course we want those. Plus high devotion equals high potential. So most of us as leaders, I want us to be self-aware as well. Most of us push toward one or the other. The high standard people are freaking people out. The high devotion people are making it too easy. Oh, I won't delegate. I don't want to bother you, right? I'll just do it myself. Or two, four, six, eight, Zach, you're really great. And there's cheerleading. I don't know what that is either. It's the combination that unleashes potential. So the more you're increasing the standard, the more you need to meet people with the safety as well. 
right? For them to try things, for them to innovate, for them to fail and get back up again. I love that. And that's such a, an interesting way to break it down. Because again, it's not something I've ever personally dealt with. So for me to have that relatability and even empathy attached to that, like I can be sympathetic, yeah. but really be empathetic to that is a very difficult piece for a lot of us. So understanding that and obviously that being a specialty of yours and in a lot of what you do in your training and coaching, you've been described as like an activator. You use strategic questions, positivity, meet people where they're at, take them where they want to go. Can you kind of delve into what your day-to-day with a client looks like? Is it really in that corporate world where they're trying to climb into that C-level? Are they trying to get board positions, mid-level management? What does that look like? Who works with you? How do you get them where they want to go? Yeah. Well, you use the numero uno, which is meet them where they're at. Like I truly, I settle myself before any coaching conversation. So I'm also a trainer, but when I'm doing one-on-one coaching, I settle myself because I want to make sure that I, that almost like I'm not there, if that makes any sense, right? I want to understand the experience of this person. I really want to hear them. There are many people that are sent to me for coaching, understand, right? Someone who is seen as toxic in the workplace, they're a high performer or they wouldn't be. So like the organizational send you their quote unquote problem employee yeah, that has amazing numbers, but nobody likes working with. Yeah. And I can't do good work with that person until I really believe and get that there's something to love about them. 99.9% of the time, these difficult people have no idea that they are. There isn't one of them that said, geez, I love making people squirm. When people feel small, that is my best day. All right. Many of us, Half of us, in fact, according to leadership styles, think before we feel. So I work with them on the empathy, something they weren't naturally born with. But of course, I see people change every day. Of course, they can learn it because the consequence of them not is something they can't live with. So that's also what I do. I hold them. It's actually a tool and it sounds super silly, but it's steeped in neuroscience. I'll share it with you. But I we whoop it up. It's a W-O-O-P. So I ask them what their wish is. All right. What do you want? If I could wave a magic wand at the end of our time together, you have everything that you need to lead. And they'll usually say, I want people to have a great experience working with me. I don't know why everyone quits me. I don't know why people cry when I speak, right? I don't understand why that's happening. So they wish for to be the person everyone wants to work with and for. The first O is what is the outcome of that? What are all the good things that are going to happen when that is your experience at work? And now the brain is starting to get excited because it sees it. And it's like, yes, I want that. So the motivation is there. The next door are the obstacles. We're crazy if we don't look at that, right? It's a waste of time if we don't look at that. What if anything could get in the way? And if they feel safe enough with me, which isn't always the first session, they'll say, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that yet, right? And the P is we put the plan together to figure it out. That's why I'm happy to be a trainer as well, because we have a whole library of modules and I can pull the tool off the shelf so we can move into action that much faster. So it's not a passive coaching kind of a thing. It's really quite active, but I start with seeing them where they're at. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing where, and I think you have a contrary from what I've seen and read about you and seen some of the content you've put out, you kind of have a contrarian view of the idea that some people say it's just easier said than done. And that seems to be like an excuse a lot of people will bring into this type of conversation. Well, it's so easy to say, but I can't change my reputation. I am who I am. It's just so much easier said than done. Can you give us your your retort to that or how you actually feel about that statement? Yeah. What if it's easier done than said? What if we're spending way too much time talking about it, making excuses about it, declaring with our feet digging in, this is who I am, that there's no room to learn. They call that in mindfulness, the idea of having an empty cup. 
right? What if we could just empty it and say, I'm here to learn all they need. There's a light bulb that goes off in the coaching too, where they're starting to lean in and say, share with me more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's fascinating to me about that because it, it seems like we're talking about the psychology piece behind all this, right? And that personal connection that you do really well with clients gaining that trust. It seems like there's always a limiter that comes up in a lot of capacities, right? That limiting belief of I've always been this way. I can't change, can't teach an old dog new tricks. So it just fascinates me when I saw that with some of the stuff you're putting out. It's like, you hear that so often. It's so much easier said than done. And it just seems like a cop-out. It seems like that's like, all right, you're not putting effort into actually doing the thing. Right. So I say, so we break it down. There aren't 10 things we're going to do. We're going to do one thing. And then when we have success around that. So what we, what I guide my clients by is progress, not perfection, right? So let's just try one thing. And I can't believe you're asking me this question because I have my rocket ship here, (laughs) which is Mel Robbins, who is a motivational speaker and had a TV show at one point, but she has this great tool on the topic of, you know, maybe it's easier done than said. And when you're scared, which is usually what gets in the way, right? Procrastination is really fear. I don't know if I can do this thing. What if I make a fool of myself? So you just five, four, three, two, one. You count backwards, five, four, three, two, one, and then blast off. And this squishy toy that I got on Amazon, it's about five bucks. When I push it down, let's say there's a scary sales call. I'm kind of making that up, but let's say there is one. And I squish my rocket ship down. It takes five seconds for it to inflate again. And that's when I pick up the phone. That's when I do the thing. That's when I get on the first presentation. I've never presented to a thousand people. The first time I did that, I said, five, four, three, two, one, here we go. Right. Because it closes the gap between our intentions and our actions. Because the thing that's in the way of that is just fear. And in the work that I get to do, I get to see the human condition. And it's almost humorous, not quite, but it's almost humorous. The fact that if we all saw that fear is in front, maybe we'd choose something different and we'd chuck it in the back seat. My brain has been working for me for years and I'm telling you it works, right? The fear piece, is tr- it thinks it's being helpful and it's just in the way. So we five, four, three, two, one, just do it. I, I love that. And there's a, a adage in the military world that I've shifted to be similar in a line. I, I love that message as a whole. And the in, in the military, they say, you know, you get ready, you get set, you take aim and then you fire. Right. And then once you shoot that shot, that shot's already downfield. Like you can't change that. Yeah. And I think we learned that in COVID that I've reshaped that to be like, that's not exactly right. You don't get ready, get set, take aim, take that breath, take all that time and shoot that one shot. That's the only direction you go. What we learned, especially in COVID and a lot of what you're talking about, the way I kind of conceptualize is you get ready, you shoot your shot and then you take aim adjust course, start pivoting a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can't be dead set in that analysis paralysis of trying to aim exactly where you want to go. And I think that's a lot of what it sounds like what you're talking about is like people start analyzing and that fear starts creeping and they start making themselves believe they can't do it because they're over analyzing that perfection paralysis piece of it comes into play. Are you seeing that a lot in that corporate leadership role where they're starting to overanalyze these things and limiting themselves? Yes, absolutely. So I'm also a DISC certified practitioner and there are four styles, doesn't matter. But for the purpose of this, Harvard Business Review would suggest that the most effective leaders will make a decision with 70% of the information. There's one of the four disc styles that is like 70. I only need 40. I know exactly where we need to go. They're the firing, firing, they're ready to go. They take action. They want to move the ball down the field. There's another style that thinks they need 100% of the information. They're so afraid to be anything other than perfect. Right. And so while they're busy gathering that last bit, you know, the last 30% that has a really low return on investment, their followership suffers. People have left the room, 
right? We are paid at some point for our instincts and our good judgments, our informed judgments, but our good judgments. And this person can't let go. It's a very punishing mindset. It's an internal belief that they need to be perfect. And it is also, it slips out externally as well. So the experience of being on the other side of that very conscientious person can be punishing because they go about the day noticing what's right and wrong, and they will absolutely correct you a lot, right? And so, yeah. And so we want to, somewhere in between this is something called cultivating confidence. Mm. No one knows everything, right? But this came up so often in coaching that we just designed a new training program around it called Cultivating Confidence, because the most senior people, people you would never imagine, Zach, are saying, I don't, I'm just sitting here waiting to be found out. I don't know if I deserve to be here. And, and because I'm not perfect. Well, what the hell is that? Right. So if we could be guided by progress, not perfection, if you took, I think it's called a compass or a protractor. I haven't been in fifth grade math in a while, but the thing with the dot in the circle and you put a dot in the center and you drew a circle around it and you got a big magnifying glass, right. And you zoomed in that dot's not in the center. You're going to be exhausted chasing something that's elusive. We are here to learn. And if you really get that you're not perfect, man, will you be unleashed? You will try things no one's ever tried before. You will do things people said you shouldn't even be done and your innovation will be off the charts. I love that. And obviously it's, it's inspiring, you know, I think, and I hope it gives hope to a lot of people in that aspect of things. And I know years ago with the police department, I was that troubled employee, Mm. Uh, great numbers, great stats, great productivity, quote unquote, as they call it. Yeah but nobody wanted to work for me. So I kept getting passed over for promotions. I was just that guy that showed up, did my job, went home and bless them. I hated it at the time, but my quote unquote punishment was a Dale Carnegie course. And I went through the Dale Carnegie training here in Atlanta. And that was my first foray into leadership. I went back and taught the next session because I loved it so much. I had this golden book sitting right here on my desk still. And this was 10 years ago, almost. I mean, it shifted my whole mentality towards what leadership was, what teamwork was, so many different pieces. What was that for you? Where did you see that catalyst and change and mindset? Was there a resource that really sparked that for you, sparked that leadership journey or sparked this mentality that you have now that you're helping others understand? Yeah. Yes. It was a bookend. Someone said something in the beginning of my career, but I didn't hear it until the tail end. And then I love how you just phrased that. Somebody said something, but I didn't hear it until later. Yeah. And so in the beginning of, so I was in a training program. I was an assistant AE at an agency and all these men in their suits got up and told us what leadership was and rah, 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 you know, and then this woman got up and I was like, Ooh, interesting. Cause there weren't many. And she talked about listening. And I remember thinking in my business suit with the shoulder pads and the tie uh, that she was soft. So I decided I wasn't going to be like her. Right. And, but I kept reflecting on it. Like this woman kept talking, what does that mean? And In the later bit of my leadership journey, I reflected on that and I tried it. And I, what does that mean, listening? It means checking ourselves. It means being able to read the room. It means caring less about me than I care about we, about the people in the room, right? Instead of just pushing my point of view, right? Really see, here's what people want at work, right? People start thinking money and titles. Those are hygiene factors. Yes, we want to be paid and commensurate with our contribution. What people want is to be seen, to be heard, to know that they matter, to have someone who's career pathing with them, someone who sees them. That is what- Understands, understanding, like simple. Yeah. Right? 
In the Chinese symbol, the character for listening has 10 components, mind, body, head, heart, soul, because mm. they get that it's not just vibrations bouncing through our ear holes. It's a full body experience. And as a leader, it's the best thing we can give to mm. someone else. It's the best thing we can do. So I got it. And I started to practice that. And in doing so, became the person everyone wants to work with and for, because I made space for other people <laughs> instead of me, instead of just me. And what do you need to do that? By the way, it just comes full circle, confidence. Mm. I don't mean confidence to say I'm confidence to know that I'm not perfect. Confidence to ask about your experience of being on the other side of me. Confidence to really listen to you, even if every fiber of my being is saying, I don't agree with you. I'm willing to hear you and we're going to figure it out together. Yeah. So yeah, going back to 1989, that that lady was right. <laughs> and I love that because what we look at it, when we look at it beyond that, and people think leadership and a lot of what we're talking about is like a business thing, right? This is a corporate world. This is a business leader world. The reality of everything you just said affects a relationship all the way around. That's You apply that same lesson at home and you make your significant other feel understood. That's just communication as a whole. And there's so much that correlates between all of that. that I think people forget is like, this just makes you a better individual, not necessarily a better employee, better teammate, but it makes you better in so many capacities to take these lessons and apply them elsewhere if we can remember to do that, right? We still have to put forth that effort beyond the the nine to five, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's your podcast, but what do you think is in the way? <laughs> but like, what? I mean, it's, and you learn this in your journey in the Dale Carnegie piece, our ego mm-hmm. gets in the way, doesn't it? If it we does. can just let go of that a little bit, all kinds of magical things. That's why we talk about it's strong training and coaching. It happens to be our CEO's last name. How cool is that? It's Mark Strong. But helping people be strong at work so they can be strong in life. There's such a wonderful ripple effect. I am certain that when you went through that Dale Carnegie thing, right, other things started to shift in your life as well. It brought so much awareness, right? That's the thing that a lot of, I know what you're doing, helps people with is like, like you said earlier, a lot of people don't recognize that they're that person, right? They don't see anything wrong. And what yeah. one thing that stuck out of my mind way back when was before I went through Dale Carnegie, there was a high up guy that was the division commander. And he's like, you know what? You could cut your numbers and your productivity and all this amazing stuff you're doing, cut it in half, but smile once a day inside these walls and you'd be a better person, a better employee. And we would love you more. I'm like, and I honestly, I got so mad. I got so mad because of the delivery. And again, this is like a paramilitary organization, right? Yeah, I'm not yeah. thinking leadership, but what slapped me upside the face during the Del Carnegie course was one of his golden rules is simply smile. And I'm like, there is no way this dude. And I had a very poor opinion of the man for a long, still really do, honestly. But it was one of those, <laughs> like, you know, I just didn't take that lesson. I wasn't listening. I wasn't open in that communication, but that was me. That wasn't him. I wasn't open to receiving the actual message he was delivering and having that two-way street of communication. I was just blocked off to it all. Right. Right. You know, and the shame in that is the relationship wasn't strong enough for you to hear his suggestion. His delivery in the relationship wasn't in such a, you know, like feedback is it's like baseball. You throw in a ball, the person doesn't catch it, the play doesn't get made. So for you, it sounds like that was a bookend for you too. You can now separate him from the message and say, I get it. Right. And what the smile does, what that, you know, I've had different leaders that got feedback that they should put more exclamation marks in their writing or whatever. What we're doing in that, the smiles and the exclamation marks within reason is creating safety, right? One of the reasons why I'm an advocate of being in the office, not, it doesn't have to go back to the way that it was, but think about this act. You walk down the hall, your boss smiles at you. That's feedback. 
I'm back on solid ground. Guess what that person, that employee is going to go do when they get back to their office? They might go outside their comfort zone and bring you something you didn't even ask for, right? So the smile is important because it sets the sense of safety so people can go try stuff. And it's so funny in society, we hear this whole, oh, you should just smile more. And a lot of people get offended when they're told that, right? What do you mean I should smile more? Like I'm, And it almost is like that personal attack that people feel. And of course, you know, it's such an offhanded comment a lot of times. Ah, you just need to smile more. But the reality of it, like that shifts a whole perspective on things. And that was actually one of the homework assignments from Dale Carnegie. Go about your day, but make it a point to smile every time you interact with somebody. And well, we're talking about that nonverbal piece of the communication, it opens up people like to a good morning to, Hey, how are you doing? It makes a leader so much more approachable when something as simple as a smile can open that up for folks. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And I just, because we started talking about female leadership, I just, I can't not share the double meeting in that for women, right? Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, a lot of times people say to little girls or to young leaders, female leaders, just smile. And the implication is something different than what you and I are talking about. The implication is you're here to please me, right? You are here to make things pleasant and nice. And I went to a training once and we all were sitting around at tables on leadership and I picked up the pitcher and I filled everyone's glass. And the woman who, the trainer said, don't ever do that again, right? Your job isn't to please and make things comfortable and make sure the temperature is right in the room and to smile. Your job is to slay. Your job is to have impact, right? So it's for us as leaders, as female leaders to decide what that means. I don't want to throw out the meaning. I don't want to throw out the message. What am I trying to say here? (laughs) I don't want to lose the meaning. What we're talking about is disarming, safety, Mm. right? Not intimidating people so that they can't do stuff. But there is a separate meaning for women as well, which we're told a lot to just smile. And so we'll have to figure out in our leadership journey, where do we bring it in strategically to create trust, but not slip into people pleasing? Because that's not our job either. That's why I love different perspectives, right? I would have never, again, it would never come to my mind. Mm. And again, it's not something a man deals with. I don't have to worry about smiling or not smiling in that capacity, right? Mm-hmm. These days, there might be a capacity of worried that it's too flirty or it's too forward or sexual harassment in the workplace. But that's such a low aspect attached to what we have to worry about compared to what women have dealt with for years in a leadership role because of that people-pleasing, motherly, quote-unquote, gender role that's kind of been attached in society where these days that's really broken. I say I'm not in the corporate world, so I can't even speak on that, but I would imagine it's getting more and more broken away from that. Are are you seeing that or is that still like a legitimate consideration for women in the workplace that they need to be thinking through all of this stuff? (laughs) Yeah. You know, every time I would think we were finished with the nonsense, not just the smiling, but the whole just, I mean, I see myself a certain way. First of all, I'm five, four, but I always saw myself as six feet tall. I just did. Right. And it's how I carried myself in a room. And whenever someone would see me differently than I saw myself, it was one of the most painful experiences because I thought we were done with that. So I was at an agency and I was up for a position of president and the CEO said, listen, I, you're, you're just crushing it. And I see this for you. I don't see anything in your way. And I strongly considering making you the president of this agency. Do you want to go home and check with your husband? And I mean, I, had to, I just had to catch my breath. I just thought I don't did, you know, and I'm thinking of all the male leaders and when he was bringing them into positions of of seniority, did he say, do you want to go check with your wife? Now I'm sure now I can be careful and not jump off a cliff with this one. I'm sure he meant maybe he did, 
Right. But it just seemed like suddenly we snapped back to 1970 or something. I don't even know what I said. I think I really needed to catch my breath. But I said, I think I said he will be so proud when I tell him that I am going to accept the position of president. Right. He was. And he was. He was my champion. Right. He's like, this is my girl. She's the head of such. She's that. She's, you know, whatever it was. And so I would have never hitched myself to anyone who didn't see me the way I see myself. And I had the expectation at work. So I do believe that what I put out helped people get rid of some of that nonsense, right? But when it came up, what I practiced toward the end was instead of being angry or whatever, I moved into some coaching around it, right? What if anything is in the way of you seeing me this way, of giving me a forum to speak, of not speaking for me, what's in the way so we can get to the bottom of it? Yeah. Wow. That's powerful because it, I couldn't imagine somebody saying, Hey, do you need to check with your wife before you accept this promotion? Couldn't imagine anybody ever saying that in, in that, in the worlds I've been in. So even thinking that that's like an acceptable thing, Hey, go check with your husband and make sure you can get promoted. It's crazy to me. Right. And it sounds yeah. like the way you're describing it, like that's offensive, right? Like I yeah. couldn't fault you if you're like, Oh, this dude, what a jackass, you know? <laughs> I, so you know, thankfully you have that awareness attached to, you know, that response. But I think that's a dedicated effort that a lot of people need to take is like, he might've meant it very innocently, right? He might not have meant it in a passive aggressive. Obviously he thought highly of you to promote you to that. But if somebody receives that the wrong way, that presidency could have gone out the window real quick. If you kind of snapped off on like, what do you mean? And kind yeah. of push back in a different way. So props to you for that work. I think that's really impressive because a lot of people, yeah, I think that's difficult for folks. Yeah. Yeah. We're all learning, right? Yeah. Give grace and space. I wasn't a coach then, so I might not have given as much grace and space as I would today. <laughs> oh, Marina, I love all of this and I love hearing about your journey and it's been an incredible one. And before we wind down and, and let everybody know how to contact you, I'm really curious with everything you're doing from that journey you've been through to now giving it back and helping others understand these aspects of their journey. What's the legacy you're wanting to leave on the world? Mm. It's the legacy is also the why it's my purpose. I want for people at work and in life to live, to make decisions on purpose instead of by accident. I want the experience of work and life to be something that's happening for us instead of to us, because I have a strong belief that nothing really good happens accidentally, maybe a surprise birthday party, but that's about it. Right. I want, I think a kick-ass life happens by design. And so we have to be willing, we get to be willing to move anything that is in the way of that. We get to be brave. We get to choose courage instead of fear and set some intentionality around we want our what we want our day and our week and our year and our life to look at. So we'll look like, so we never look back and say, what the hell just happened? So that is my why. And it's the legacy of as many people as I can possibly reach. And we can reach at strong training and coaching to be intentional and design the path that they want, their goals right? What is the outcome? What, if anything is in the way, put your plan together and go have it. That's an amazing mission. And you're obviously doing a phenomenal job. I'm getting all of that out there and I, I applaud you for it. I mean, I'm sure it's not been the easiest journey. So it's really amazing that you're, you're putting that out there. And I want to give everybody the opportunity. What's the best way to reach out, connect with you, learn more about strong training and coaching, what y'all are doing over there. Overall, just give us the links, the website, everything that you can. Yeah, right on. So the simplest way is just to reach out to markstrongcoaching.com. So it's markstrongcoaching.com. What you'll see there 
are just the most incredible. I love my colleagues. I mean, this is like, my mom has a saying, which is the purpose of life is not to be pushing a cart uphill with your nose the whole time. It's to be in it riding. We're all in it riding. And that's where we want you. So you're going to see some great coaches some trainers, the different training modules that we have. We also have on demand and we have this really cool new thing. MarkStrongCoaching.com. Check it out. We've got this new thing that we're so excited about. And so are our clients, which is, you know how it works. You can, you have an EAP, right? So it's an employee assistance program. You get some therapy if you're struggling. We've created a PAP, a professional assistance program. So we'll go in and coach 16 people back to back in a company. They'll get each get 30 minutes and it's like on demand, right? Difficult conversation, difficult person. How do I advocate for myself? Imposter syndrome. Most of those people are reaching out because they think they need to quit. No, they don't. We help them stay. So we're rolling that out now and we're wildly excited about that. So thank you for asking. It's markstrongcoaching.com. And we would love to work with you so that you can be strong at work and roll that into your life as well. I love it, Maureen. Thank you so much for all of that. Thank you for bringing all of us to the audience today. And of course, I want to encourage everybody to come back for Tactical Friday. We're going to chop it up a little bit more, dive a little bit deeper into a lot of what you're doing over at Strong Training and Coaching. Overall, Maureen, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, Zach, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.